welcome you all. This is Anna speaking. And this is Jorge speaking and listening to Literary Tea Podcast. This is the third episode of our third lit trilogy called Resistant Rainbow. And today's episode is called Who's Afraid of Queer Representation? To join us in this discussion, we'd like to welcome our third special guest, Jeremias Lucas Tavares. Lucas is an English teacher and translator. Currently, he's a student in the graduate program in language and teaching and a teacher of the state of Paraíba. He's interested in translation, mainly in audiovisual translation and in LGBTQI plus issues. Academia aside, Lucas is a Capricorn with Scorpio rising, addicted to using mode adverbs and the RuPaul's Drag Race stand. Welcome, Lucas. Hi, Bia. Hi, Jorge. Thank you so much for the invitation. I am so happy to be here, and I'm here to spell some tea on the Literary Tea Podcast. Uh, today, I would like to start with a poem, which I like very much. Uh, the name of the poem is Queer Theory According to My Grandmother. The author of this poem is Richard Blanco. He was the inaugural poet uh, of Barack Obama's government. I'm not sure of the year, but this was not the poem he read. So let's go. Queer Theory According to My Grandmother. Never drink soda with a straw. Milkshakes? Maybe. Stop eyeing your mother's Avon catalog and the men's underwear in those Sears flyers. I've seen you. Stay out of her Tupperware parties and perfume bottles. Don't let her kiss you. She kisses you too much. Avoid hugging men, but if you must, pat them real hard on the back, even if it's your father. Must you keep that cat? Don't pet him so much. Why don't you like dogs? Never play house, even if you're the husband. Quit hanging out with that hairy kid. He's too pale. And I don't care what you call him. Those G.I. Joe of his are dolls. Don't draw rainbows or flowers or sunsets. I've seen you. Don't draw at all. No coloring books either. Put away your crayons, your Play-Doh, your Legos. Where are your Hot Wheels, your lazy guns and handcuffs, the knives I gave you? Never fly a kite or roller skate, but lie all the firecrackers you want, kill all the lizards you can, cut up worms, feed them to the cat of yours. Don't sit Indian style with your legs crossed. You're no Indian. Stop click-clacking your sandals. You're no girl. For God's sakes, never sitting down, I've seen you. Never take a bubble bath or wash your hair with shampoo. Shampoo is for women. So is conditioner. So is mousse. So is hand lotion. Never fire your nails or blow dry your hair. Go to the barber shop with your grandfather. You're not unisex. Stay out of the kitchen. Men don't cook. They eat. Eat everything you want. Except deviled eggs, blow pops, Croissants, bagels, maybe, cucumber sandwiches, petite fours. Don't watch Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. Don't stare at the six million dollar man. I've seen you. Never dance alone in your room. Donna Summer, Barry Manilo, 
the Captain and Neil, Bad Midler, and All Musicals, Forbidden. Posters of Kitten, Star Wars, or the Eiffel Tower, Forbidden. Those fancy books on architecture and art, I threw them in the trash. You can't wear cologne or puka shells, and I better not catch you in clogs. If I see you in a ponytail, I'll cut it off. What? No, you can't pierce your ear. Left or right side, I don't care. You will not look like a goddamn queer. I've seen you, even if you are one. Well, that's a very strong poem with a very strong message and problematic message also. And uh, I just want to ask you, uh, um, Lucas and Jorge, just to start our discussion. There is a, a, a term in the title of this poem that calls our attention, that is queer. So how would you define this, this term, queer? Well, I guess the definition is something really hard to, to do. But in the text, we can see one of the definitions of queer. That is one of the first definitions that we have. Uh, the, it is a term to refer to the homosexual male. But then again, the term queer has been through some changes through the years. In the poem, the, uh, in the poem Richard Blanco talks about what his grandmother thinks of queer. And in this case, it is this very stereotypical version of a gay man and all of the things that gay men do that are related to being queer, to being gay. Some of them are really absurd, right? So men cannot drink uh, milkshakes or sodas with a straw. This is not something gay, right? People take drinks with, with straws, right? And there is another so, one of that called, called my attention that is, um, why don't you like dogs? Why do you have your cat? Don't pet him so much. It's like um, a pet, depending on the pet, it defines who you are, right? And, and, and also an aversion to, to love, I guess. Because the problem is not only to have a cat, is to pet the cat. And uh, there is a part of the poem, let me, let me find About it. the hugs? Yeah, the hugs. Avoid hugging men, but if you must, pat them real hard on the back. And before that, uh, it says, don't let her kiss you. She kisses you too much. So even a demonstration of love between uh, a son and his mother is considered something queer in the, the poem. Because of this idea, right, that it resembles weakness. So it's like uh, your mom is teaching you how to be weak just because she's been affectionate to you. Uh, before you... Uh, try to define a little bit more of the idea of queer, Lucas, i just like to call attention to um, the idea of abjection. I think you mentioned it, but with the word aversion. I, I think it's really interesting how the poem uh, depicts that. 
And uh, what I like about this poem is, is how relatable it is when, if you're a gay man or if you define yourself as queer, because uh, while, we were, while we were reading, I was kind of having goosebumps because I was remembering about my childhood. And what I found really interesting is when they also mentions uh, the kitchen, the kitchen as a, as a women place. Because when I was a kid, I hated, look, I hated being amongst my uncles. So I, I had other cousins, other male cousins, who would be uh, uh, amongst my uncles outside of my grandmother's house. But I was always in the kitchen with my aunts. So I would be there gossiping with them and having coffee or tea and eating biscuits. And, of course, my family never approved of this. So I think that uh, the idea of queer related to the idea of abjection or or, or rejection or aversion uh, is something that people who define themselves as queer or gay or any other letter of the, of, of our movement can feel uh, from very early the idea of abjection. Yes, George, I totally agree with you. Uh... It is kind of a gay panic, right? Uh, it is very interesting because I relate so much to the poem and I noticed you do too. Uh, there are lots of things that, that really uh, were part of a, the, the childhood of many gay kids. Uh, and Richard Blanco is Latino. So he... So the fact that he's Latino even increases the resemblance between our background culture, right? Because we share lots of things in common. And I think everybody had this kind of, of figure in the house that was like, don't do this, don't do that. You, you look like a girl. Like it is something to, to be ashamed of, something to be avoid. Um, so this is one of the first definitions of queer, right? It is a name, an expression used to, to attack gay people. But uh, it has been through lots of changes. One of them actually happened during the Stonewall riots. I think it is, it was 50 years ago more than 50 years ago, actually. And queer was used as a slur, right? But it was taken by the queer community as something positive, and it was uh, resignified, right? So one of the, the mottos, one of the slogans of the LGBTQIA movement was, we're queer, we're here, get used to it. Uh, it was really used during the Stonewall riots. So right now, queer has a more uh, wide concept, right? So there are people who identify themselves as queer. There are people who don't like the expression very much. But the queer is the Q in the, the LGBTQIA, right? So it is a very important part of our culture. It's like an umbrella term. 
Yes, exactly. It's an umbrella term. It can be used to refer to everyone who does not identify as straight and as cis, for example, considering cis and trans people, right? Uh, then again, there are lots of authors, different authors that uh, consider queer as a even more wide, even there are some authors that consider queer as a wider term, you know, for example, there are some people who put, uh, who include women and also black people under this umbrella term. So queer would be everything that is different from the white man, right? The white straight man. Uh, but there is different opinions about it. I think it is even more related to the LGBTQI community. That's something that I would like to talk about when you guys mentioned the, the umbrella term uh, word. Uh, because uh, well, I, I've noticed that the if we take the pro-homosexual fight, uh, I have the impression that it's much more about uh, standing up for homosexuality itself, or at least it was. And when you talk about a queer movement or queer fight, we have a much more fierce criticizing of every regime of normalization. So when you mentioned uh, about the wideness of the term queer, uh, I, I remember now that I read uh, in a book by Ricardo Miscotti, which is a, an author of queer theory in Brazil. Uh, he, he mentions that uh, this, this issue of the wideness of the term queer today is also uh, uh, involving a kind of new, a new definition, which would be the straight queer. I don't know if you've heard about it or if you've read anything about it or anyone mentioning this, but this straight queer uh, would be much more related to like uh, straight people, at least to identify as being straight, but that live in different, uh, in different situations which are not the norm. For example, new, uh, new ways of constituting families, like two people who you know, who date or who have kids together, but live in different houses. And uh, in all the forms of constituting families, uh, what, what do you think about this? Uh, if you've heard about it or not, I, I found at least quite intriguing, you know, to associate straight and queer at first. Yes, I, I agree with you. Sounds strange to the ear. But I'm not saying it is not possible. Uh, the studies of queer are not very old. They are actually very new. I think we started talking about this in the 90s. So things are changing every day. I, I personally don't believe there is such thing as a straight queer because the, the, the idea of queer is to go against everything which is straight, right? Uh, everything, uh, uh, it, it's, it's to go against the norm. So if the social norm is being straight, so we can be like gay or bisexual, uh, is everything that 
yeah, everything that is not standard for, yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But I guess... Yeah, that's it. I guess you understood. <laughs> everything that is against what is predetermined, in what society thinks it's right, or social roles, social models. So queer, as you're mentioning, as you're saying, goes against it. So I think that's why calling straight queer, as George said about, about this author, this scholar, it's, made, it's kind of contradictory, right? Yes, I agree. Those are two opposite ideas. Um, I think the, the term queer, the, the studies of queer, ha have a lot yet to evolve. Like I said, we, it's been like two, maybe three decades that we are actually discussing this. Because like I said before, the term queer it started being accepted be, uh, inside the community like 20 years ago. Outside the community, I don't even know if it is accepted yet as a, as a standard term to refer to that community, mainly because there is no agreement of what the terms mean, of what people are involved. So there are some people that identify as LGBTQI, but do not identify as queer specifically. So this is why sometimes I am reluctant to use queer to refer to everybody. There is an actress and comedian named Leah Delaria. She, she wasn't on Orange is a New Black. Uh, she says that queer is the, the term that we should use because the LGBTQIA it shows our differences, like this is lesbian, this is gay, this is trans, uh, this is bi, uh, this is queer, this is intersexual. Uh, but the, the term queer put us all together to fight for the oppression that we suffer, which is similar. So instead of focusing on how we are different from each other, the term queer makes us one big group which suffers a similar oppression in the society. So I really agree with that. You are, you are saying that the term itself, we, we can say that it came from within the community, right? At least to the look, the, the eyes of the scholars or the people who study this or want to study this, and make it a theory, as, for example, Judith Butler. But what, do you, what can you say about um, not only the term queer, you already mentioned this, this explained this, but other aspects that are part, that are icons of this community itself? Besides the term. Yeah, the, the term queer comes within the community, but of course we have lots of different things, which I would say, I, I, I was going to say define us, but not define us, but maybe represent us 
because there is no definition of this. Uh, but the, the representation of queer people, of LGBTQA people, LGBTQIA people, is a very important matter uh, in the contemporaneity. And I think one of the main things that we have to do is to turn our eyes to the past to see how, how our history was constructed, how our history is made, so we can know where we came from and where we are going. And, of course, one of my favorite movies of all time is Paris is Burning. It is a film documentary, filmed by uh, Livingstone in the, in the 80s in New York. And this movie represents the very core of the, the queer culture, of course, in the, of course, in, in, in the United States. But this culture actually uh, influenced the whole world, of course, even in Brazil. So th this movie, it's like the, the gay Bible, maybe. Everything that uh, we know about uh, this community is there. So th the movie represents uh, the struggles of queer people in, the every in their everyday lives. And of course, of Latin and black people. Because the term queer also embraces like black people and uh, Latinx people and maybe women because it is one kind of oppressions. Of course that each one have its particularities, right? But Paris is Burning is a really good movie. It's really interesting and I think everyone should watch it. And this is something really important because the, we need representation in the media. Like, for example, on the beginning of the episode, episode uh, Jorge said that he, he really identified with the poem, the Richard Blanco's poem, right? And we have to, to be represented in all kinds of arts, right? It is, it is uh, one of the challenges of the contemporaneity, I guess, to represent everybody. Because I think we come from a very strictly straight and white art. And I'm talking about poetry, I'm talking about music, I'm talking about theater, I'm talking about uh, cinema, right? And we need these people to, to be represented, right? For example, there is this singer, Leon Azax. I don't know if you know him. But I was saying, God, I wish I was a child now so I can have him as a role model, right? Because growing up, I didn't see people like me, so I thought I was wrong. But I'm not wrong. Nobody is wrong, right? So, Lucas has just mentioned uh, about how important that would be to him as a kid to have uh, 
the representations that we have today in media, right, when it comes to uh, queer people, LGBTQI plus people. And I, I identify what, with what he said because, well, uh, you know, growing up as a gay kid, uh, it, depending on your context, right, uh, on your, especially your family context, uh, things can be quite different. But for example, nowadays, uh, I, I can I identify a lot with the narratives that involve uh, issues regarding uh, gay kids that were brought up in in strictly religious homes, and, and how these these narratives they resemble uh, the lives of a lot of people. Uh, I was I I have also been thinking about uh, rethinking actually the importance of these narratives. And how sometimes, uh, although they are necessary when they depict tragic endings, for example, uh, I think that during this, the, the production of this lit trilogy, one of our posts in our EG, in our Instagram, was the recommendation of the Prayers for Bobby film. I love that film, and even though it has a tragic uh, story. It is a tragic story. Uh, okay, there is also a positive message in the end. Uh, but even though there is some, that there is death and pain and suffering, uh, I think that uh, movies and stories and films like those, they help somehow people to develop a little bit more of empathy. And uh, I, I'm quite happy nowadays that not only these narratives are being sold are being released because today we have a lot of narratives and uh, that depict queer people and happy endings. Example, it's not not okay. There is suffering, yes, there is, but not only tragedy. I I am under the impression that uh, the tragic narratives they are leaving room for more positive, more positive stories, more positive representations. So based on that, I'd like to know from you, uh, which queer films or uh, LGBTQI plus narratives or literature, anything that you like, that, you, that you've watched, that you would recommend also, and somehow that is part of your, of your guys' upbringing uh, and contact with different media. That, that's a great, great question. That's a great question. I also feel what you're saying about things changing and uh, different stories being told. I think it is very important to tell different stories, right? Growing up as a kid, as I was saying, I didn't have much that, that much of a, of a representation in the media. And I believe this is really important, right? Uh, a movie that I can't remember right now is Brokeback Mountain. I don't know if you guys ever watched it, but it is an adaptation, a movie adaptation of a, of a novel. Uh, it is a story about two straight men who fall in love. I remember that when it was released, it was banished from one of the biggest... Uh, movie theater, movie theater network on the United States, because 
well, it is a queer story, right? Uh, and <clears throat> the, the movie had a lot of criticism, of course, positive and negative. I think it is a great story and a great adaptation also. Uh, I do think it has something to do with the tragic ending <laughs> still, right? Because they, they cannot leave that affair, they cannot leave that love because the movie is on the 60s and, well, we know how gay people were treated in the 60s. Uh, so I think Brokeback Mountain brought to the mainstream queer stories and even though it was in 2005, even though, though they are straight guy, guys we just, that just have an affair, I think the movie still represents an uh, uh, and, and advance, maybe, right, in, in those queer politics and in the representation in the media. And after that, I can think of many other movies, movies which got uh, tr translated from a, a, a text, a, a book, a novel, a play, to the screens. This movement is really important because we do not only need representation in literature, we also need it in cinema, for example, right? So Call Me By Your Name is an adaptation and we also have uh, Moonlight, which I think is, it is one of the greatest films of all time. This is a title that is overused, and I myself use it a lot, <laughs> but I do think it is one of the greatest movies. And it was uh, actually inspired on a text. Uh, it was not a play, but it was a, a text produced for theater, which is called In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. And it won the Oscars. It won the Oscar of best picture, I guess, in the year, right? And it is really important because uh, differently from the movies before it, it didn't brought just a tragic story, right? It was really sensitive about those issues presented on the screen. Uh, and also involve, it involved black people on the production and on the screen, which is a very good advance also. Why are you crying, La La Land? <laughs> it was awful, awful. And I actually cried watching it because I was cheering for Moonlight. So when they called La La Land, I was like, no, not that. But Moonlight is really great. And talking about Brazilian production, for example, we also have lots of movies uh, with these thematic projects, like Hoje Eu Quero Voltar Sozinho. It, yes. it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, short, a short film yeah. that was then adapted to, to the big screen, right? But I think it is really interesting. We also have uh, The Danish Girl, for example, which is uh, not as old as The Brokeback Mountain because it is from 2015. And the issue of representation is also involved in this. Uh, the Danish girl, she was one of the first 
to to actually transition right in the beginning of the last century but the actor who played the Danish girl is a cis man and i think this is an issue of representation also because i don't only need queer stories to be told i need queer people telling queer stories the most diverse that you can get like uh different people telling different stories because we are kind of used to the same thing over and over again so we really have to open up right uh you just mentioned some very famous movies and um very special for example moonlight i've watched it i cried i got emotion uh and you said something interesting about this movie which is not so interesting about um, the Danish girl. The Danish girl, you, you talked about some issues, but I think it's important to talk about representation in, in another sense, maybe. I know it's not the enough uh, sense, but I think it's value to mention. For example, Hoje Eu Quero Voltar Sozinho, which is a short uh, cut a short movie talks about it's a movie about um, two teenagers two boys they study in the same school and they fell in love with each other but the dif the differential in this story is that one of them is blind and uh, when you watch it it gives you a different perspective of this of this environment as well as moonlight because we, we it's not only about uh, gay men a story about gay men about being gay and about uh, all the things you suffer from your childhood until your adult life but also about what you just said uh, black people so it talks about a different environment and um, Yes, the Danish girl, the movie was not made by a, was not played by a trans um, actor. But I think it's valued to mention that the movie exists, the story is being told, the story is being is seen. Uh, of course, uh, if we had a, a trans, um, of course, if we had a trans actress. Or if we had a real blind boy in Hoje Eu Quero Voltar Sozinho, maybe things would be different regarding representation. But isn't it cheerful just to exist, these movies, I think? Um, this is value to, to think about, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'd like to touch on. Uh, and before I come back to this, I'd like to go back... To just a little bit to the Brokeback Mountain uh, story because I, I was thinking of how you know, the cinema and the media industry regarding films and LGBTQ narratives have evolved in this sense because when I watch Brokeback Mountain it makes me think of the 19th century narratives that we talked about in the last episode of this trilogy that had tragic endings. Uh, I Either we had uh, the relationship between two straight men 
that one of them all would marry and the other would die, or both of them would die. So uh, I see a little bit of that in Brokeback Mountain. And when we, when we watch or read more contemporary narratives of the past years, we have uh, LGBTQ issues presented in a more natural way. I don't know if you know what I mean, but for example, uh, let's take uh, Call Me By Your Name. I read the book and the sequel, and I've also watched the film. I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm wrong, but I think that uh, Elio's father, I think Elio is the name of the protagonist, right? Elio's father yeah. uh, and his parents, actually, they, they don't mind that much, right, about the fact that he can be bisexual. It's not an issue within his, within his house. So I think that this is important and uh, because it shows things in a more natural way. And now what I'd like to, what I was thinking when you were talking about Hoje Eu Quero Voltar Sozinho, and also it's something that gives me a little bit of hope for the years that come, is, this, is exactly these young adult narratives. I've been thinking a lot about these young adult narratives that touch in queer themes, in LGBTQI plus themes, because uh, if we start to go looking for them, we will find a lot of young adult novels and films and series that depict gay people, trans people, uh, in a very natural way sometimes. Okay, also showing how these... Uh, uh, young people struggle at home with their parents, their family, with religion, with social uh, struggling, but also uh, they overcoming this and how natural things are becoming much more. So I've been thinking about uh, about the role of the young adult narratives on, on queerness. I think that they are playing a huge role, especially especially in our country if we stop to think about it, uh, where, we, where we still have a very conservative apparatus. And we have, uh, because I, I say this because uh, from the classes that I've been teaching, that I had been teaching this, this past month, uh, when I talk to the students about their tastes in reading uh, of the high school groups that I was teaching, uh, they told me, uh, I was quite surprised that they told me a lot of LGBTQI plus books that they liked and series. Uh, and some of them even watch it, uh, Boys Love, which are Asian narratives on the theme, even though they are quite problematic sometimes because we have a lot of straight actors playing LGBTQI plus uh, characters. But it's a beginning, it's a start to see teenagers and young adult people uh, getting much more involved with this culture and learning and absorbing all that uh, we, without that much prejudice. I don't know if you agree with me about this or what you think about this, of the role of these narratives that are contemporary and are much more uh, talking to the young adult, teenager public. Yes, of course. I think they are valid, right? Like. Bia said, of course, it was not a trans uh, woman who played uh, the Danish girl. But at least this story was told. It was a book 
and it became a movie. And a book be becoming a movie is something really important because I believe that we consume more cinema than we do literature, at least in Brazil, right? So uh, it is a way for people to have access to these stories, which are really important for them. And also, uh, let, let me just um, add a comment here. Because in the last episode, we talked about authors that are not recognized or published while they are alive. They are only published after they die. And still, uh, I, would like, I would like to add this fact. That is, when it comes to movies, adaptations, the good part is, as you said, we are more... We consume more movies than books, at least in Brazil. So when you when you get uh, a book by a queer author, a gay or a lesbian author, and you transform it, you adapt to a movie, you uh, you give visibility to that work that maybe was not possible anymore by the book, either because it's not republished, either because it's not famous. It's not mainstream. And I'm, I would like to add another comment that is differently from some narratives that, that, for example, the Danish girl is a real story, a true story. It happened in the beginning of the last century. This person existed and she couldn't see uh, his le this legacy of her story being told. Okay, let's... Go, let's now look at these authors, these writers and directors and actors also that are still alive and they can see the, their success happening while they are alive. For example, um, I don't remember now the name of the author of Call Me By Your Name, but he could see his work becoming a, a bestseller. So people are reading him. People are looking at this story of, of two gay men in the 80s and people are also seeing the adaptation and the adaptation is also um, winning prizes and things are happening without people having to be neglected or ignored until they die to then be acknowledged, for example. So I think this is value to comment also here. Uh, Anna, uh... Uh, I uh, just a thing. I remembered now uh, that you are a fan of um, E.M. Foster, right? And uh, since we're talking about the importance of adaptations, and yes, there, there are the importance is huge. Uh, I've just remembered that the narrative uh, Maurice, which is a narrative by Foster, which was published posthumously, uh, it's an openly gay narrative. It's perfect. I love that story. There is an adaptation. There is a film adaptation of the story. Well, that I didn't know, and that is great. But that is just the example that I was telling that things happen, your, your work is only being recognized after you die. So that is a bit unfair. Thank God there is a, an adaptation. People may know Foster by this adaptation much more than by the book, which is normally what happens. The, the path that you are known is by the audiovisual situation and then by the book. Mostly is this path, then the other way around.
Beyond film adaptation and these productions that we discussed that may or may not be representative of the queer community because they have some problematics. Today, we can actually see a great number of productions, both in the United States and in the Brazil, and of course in the rest of the world, focused on these narratives, on these people. So for example, we have Queer Eye, which is a show from the, the 70s or the 90s, I guess, that was uh, remake, remade now. Uh, we also have Tales of the City, which talks about gay people in San Francisco. We have Special, which is a very good uh, Netflix TV show, right? Netflix series. Uh, we have Euphoria, that is an HBO uh, series, which... Uh, won lots of awards and they actually represent a lot of uh, queer people, right? And we have, of course, characters in other shows like secondary characters like Orange, Orange is the New Black and we also have Modern Family and we also have Hollywood and American Horror Story, for, for example, when they all present different people, different queer people because it's not because we are saying that they are queer, that they are the same. No, they are very different. And that's why they need to be represented, right? We also have Sex Education, is a Netflix series. Uh, talking about Brazil, we have Segunda Chamada, which uh, Linda Quebrada is a great actress in this TV show. We have Manhã de Setembro, which was just released on Amazon Prime. Uh, we, we have, have a cartoon, Super Drags. Yes, yeah, Super Drags. Okay, it was not such a big hit, but it is something, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a, a movie, uh, Netflix. The name is Alice Junior. It talks about a trans girl in the school and the challenges she faces. She faces in, in 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 this narrative, and it is a trans person playing it unlike the Danish girls. So it, it is something, right? We also have the one of my favorite TV shows ever. And of course, the TV show I am studying on the master's degree, which is Pose. Pose uh, depicts a similar context to Paris is Burning. So it's the New York of the 80s, of the 80s and the 90s. And like Georges said, even though they are some tragic because because of the 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 time that the the time of the narrative they were in these AIDS HIV and AIDS pandemic so a lot a lot of the characters died but even though there is this tragic they are trying to show the good part of it, like overcoming the problems and uh, really becoming a person because sometimes we are not treated as, as, as people, right? So there are trans people getting married, trans people opening business, Latin people opening business, trans people getting rich, and that's what we need to see, like representation of all types. Uh, and of course, 
George said on the beginning, I am a RuPaul's Drag Race stan. And I think it's one of the greatest shows we have on right now. We have different versions. We don't have only the American version. There is a Thai, uh, a Thai version, a British version, a Canadian version, an Australian ver version. Uh, there is one that is from Holland and Spain. So we have this, lots of these different people uh, telling their stories to the world, you know, uh, being openly and proudly queer. And that is really important. And we, what is interesting about uh, specifically RuPaul's Drag Race is that uh, I, I was used to watch the American version only because it was the only one we, we had until uh, two years ago, I guess. And then the UK version appeared, was released, and I don't think I'm the only one who had this impression, but the kind of humor, the kind of drag art, the kind of um, art expression, you know, changed because it's something that is strictly related to culture. So when RuPaul's Drag Race as a, a reality show expands to other countries, it gives us opportunities not only to hear other narratives, as you said, but also to see other cultures. How is, in this case, drag culture uh, portrayed in Spain? How it is portrayed in Canada, in Australia, in the UK? And this is interesting. This is so good, so valuable. Because we uh, get in touch. It's in, it's um, a rich moment to get in touch with other cultures and to see that uh, things are different, but they are from the same, the same place, you know, the same origin. Yes, of course. Uh, it is not just a bunch of people in leagues doing crazy challenges. They tell their stories, which are really interesting because we need to hear them. Because they always say, like, there is a, an episode which the top four stairs uh, looks at pictures of when they were young. And most of them say, like, it is good to be a representation for kids like you. You know, like what I said about Leona's ex or this narrative. It's really good for us to see people like us on the screen and to see how people are different across the world and how this is okay or at least it's supposed to be okay, right? Uh, and RuPaul's Drag Race has influenced lots of other TV shows. Like there is Legendary. It is for, uh, an HBO TV show. It is a competition, a ballroom competition. The ballroom is the culture depicted in Paris is burning and there are different houses fighting for a trophy and these houses are very diverse. We have white people, we have Latin people, we have black people, we have trans and cis people, we have bi and gays and lesbians and uh, it is really good to see these representations. Yeah, so we talked in this trilogy, in this lit trilogy, 
The homoerotic uh, aspects or idea since the Greeks, since the Romans. Then we talked about uh, visibility, uh, how these authors, most of them, they were not recognized when they were alive or when they were dead. Their works were not um, seen, read. And in this episode, we are just maybe seeing, we are seeing uh, a light in the end of the tunnel, maybe, with these, these adaptations. And I would like to know from you guys, since this kind of subject touches you too uh, much more than in myself, what do you think it, it's coming in the next years regarding representation in audiovisual media and also in literature? Well, and I just love your question because uh, since we're discussing how things have been evolving, and well, you asked what do you think that what's coming right in in the next years? Uh, well, as you mentioned, since it, it does touch me, you know, very personally, all these discussions, and I was thinking now uh, about the relationship the relationship between a queerness and religion since it is still an issue an issue to many gay people and lgbtq people especially when they're growing up and when you mentioned the line the light in the end of the tunnel thinking about that because i didn't know but through my researches and readings i found out that there is already a let's say a branch of the queer studies which discusses a queer theology. So I found, I found uh, some weeks ago a book uh, entitled The Queer God, which, is a, which was written by a Latin American uh, theologist. Her name is Marcela Atauzrid, and she wrote this book and many others on the theme. And I think that these discussions are so relevant because Okay, uh, I do not, I do not uh, believe that you should be in a place which does not accept you, in a place which does not, which you don't feel comfortable. And I talk, and I say this especially regarding religions, mainly Christianism and, the, and its many branches. But I also believe that if you uh, want to keep your faith, or if you want to keep your religion where you were brought up and so on, you must fight for it where you can. And it must be a resistance within religious groups, within churches. And I think that we are having now an outburst of these, uh, especially with these queer theologists. So when I found out about this book, The Queer God, I was like, oh my God, I have to read it. I haven't read it yet. But I was like, I have to read it and see what the author is going to talk about. Uh, because I think that, that there there has been, and, and I've been following some uh, on Instagram some profiles of uh, queer pastoral groups from different churches, and I've been noticing how they've been uh, how they've been moving and gathering people, and so I think that this is rather important to discuss and to highlight. And also, uh, just going back to the idea of queer. If we stop to think uh, how in the beginning 
the, the idea of queer was a way to untie or to unbind sexuality from the idea of reproduction, right? And to, and to embrace the importance of pleasure and interpersonal relationships, sexual relations. Uh, I think that we've made quite a progress in this, in this aspect even within literature and the theory, the theories and the academic productions themselves. Yes, I think it is really important for us to actually be in those places because we are entitled of those rights, right? I think one of the ways to do it is stop asking for respect. We don't ask for respect. It's something we demand, right? And our mission is to take all over the world because we sure are deserving of this. And I really hope we continue to fight, we continue to struggle, to struggle and we continue to evolve as a community, right? As a people. And with this, I would like to thank you, Anna and Jorge for the invitation. I, I was so happy and I think it was really great. I feel good vibes coming, you know? I think we discussed interesting topics. It was really good. Thank you very much. This was the third and last part of our lit trilogy Resistant Rainbow called Who's Afraid of Queer Representation? We'd like to thank our friend and guest Lucas for accepting the invitation to join us for this episode. We are so happy to have you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at lit.podcast to know more about our projects. See you all on the next Lit Trilogy episode.